Thanks for joining us on the Do You Want Me to Lie podcast. I'm your host, Michelle, and I'm here with Don Banks, aka my mama. Um, as I mentioned in the friendship episode, I am a cancer survivor. So I have brought my mom on to kick off the Life After Transplant series. Mom, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Don Banks. I'm Michelle's mama. Um, we're just gonna, I think we'll probably only get to like through diagnosis to transplant today and then we'll pick up the rest of another day but okay. when I was 24 I well Andrew and I had separated and I remember texting you being like mom I think I might be depressed and you text me back that doesn't sound like you and no. I was like I know but like I'm really tired. And then fast forward about a month and a half and I lived in Arizona at the time and I had flown up to Wyoming to see my aunt for Christmas. And I'd flown with my grandma and in the Salt Lake City airport, we have to make it through that. Well, first that morning, I am in the bathroom throwing up just yucking and I had no idea what was wrong I and mom like I didn't even think I was that sick like I just didn't even like it didn't even hit me that there could be something that wrong with me yeah I I you know because I had seen you what just a few weeks before that we had been together this was christmas and you and i yeah had so, gone karaoke in thanksgiving for thanksgiving we went out yeah, and did some karaoke karaoke that's what i thought and then you text me from wyoming and you kept saying mama i'm sick there's something wrong and then i was sitting in a meeting and i got this text and all it said was mama i'm scared and for me that was that was it that's when I got scared. I don't think since you've been a little girl, you've ever told me, mama, I'm scared. Oh, right. Well, so. and like, I am a plate spinner, right? Like I am a, it doesn't really matter what the situation is. Like stuff needs to be handled and we're going to keep all things going. And like, yeah, I exactly. am a clutch player, right? I am the more stuff that's on my plate, the better I am, right? Like I am that yeah. person. Yeah. And so- mm -hmm. That morning, I am in this bathroom, just sick as a dog, and I have to make it through the airport with my grandma and my toddler, right? I think he was two, two or three at the time, yeah. and I'm sitting here like, I don't know how we're going to do this, but like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do this. So I am in the airport with my grandma, and it takes us three times as long as it should have to get through this airport. Like, we are having to like, stop at every like Starbucks and Wendy's and all those places to sit down because I am cold sweating, right? So yeah. we get to the gate and Seth was still really small at that time. So we had one of those like rolly strollers that you have to check when you finally get to the gate. So I go up to check in this stroller and they are like screwing around behind the counter and I like do not feel good. So I am having to stand in this line forever. And then when I finally get up there, 
there's still horses around back there, but everything is starting to glow. So like the stewardess hair was blonde and it's glowing mm-hmm. and all the windows and all the lights are glowing. And I slammed my hand down on the desk and I was like, can somebody help me? Because I don't feel well. And then I pass out cold, like pass out cold in the Salt Lake City Airport. And grandma had Seth. So I finally come to, to the classic, my husband is a doctor lady. And so, okay, <laughs> yeah, oh, great, right? Super, super. And so he, her, her doctor husband, he's, I think he was like a pediatrician, comes and looks at me and he's like, you are really pale. And I'm like, I'm always really pale, buddy, like. Cover girl sells from one to 10 or whatever in shades. And I am a zero, dude. I Especially am always, when you have blonde hair. Oh, right. Oh, I'll get to that too. Mad about that. But okay. So okay. I, I'm, I'm always pale. And then they're like, well, are you with somebody? And I'm like, yeah, I'm with my grandma. So they go find grandma. And grandma has left Seth with strangers at the airport. <laughs> Granted, they were very nice elderly strangers at the airport. <laughs> I am losing my crap because my grandma has just left my toddler with strangers at the airport. So I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine. I get up and I go sit with grandma and Seth and like the EMTs come and like check me out. And like, I check out, my blood pressure is fine. My vitals are all fine. And so they're like, well, like, we'll let you get on the plane. And I was like, yeah, you're going to let me get on this plane. Home is on the other side of this plane. I am not about to be hospitalized on vacation. All right. No, no freaking way. So grandma and I make it through the flight and then we survive grandma driving through Las Vegas. And we get home and I call my friend Renee, who works for a local doctor. And I'm like, well, Renee, is Dr. Mahmood seeing any new patients? And she's like, no, why? And I was like, well, I passed out in the Salt Lake City airport yesterday. And she texts me back, we'll see you at 11. And I was like, okay, thank you. So I get in there and he checks my, my heartbeat. And he's like, you have a resting heart rate of 180 beats a minute. I need to send you to the cardiologist. And it is the day before New Year's Eve, right? Or I think it might've even been, oh yeah, it was the day before. It was the day before New Year's Eve. And so I hear him in the other room. No, I think it was the day before that because we were on our way behind the ambulance when it turned New Year's. Yeah, it was New Year's Eve that we the left. Day so before New Year's. The day before But I, yeah. I, he was on the phone with the cardiologist and he was like, I know that you think you're going home early today, but I'm sending you a 24-year-old girl with a resting heart rate of 180 beats a minute. And I hear the cardiologist be like, I'll wait for her. So I go into the cardiologist and they put me on a heart monitor. And I remember you saw me that day because I was like, I probably have something wrong with my heart. So mom, you and I need to go have chimichangas and Dr. Pepper before they tell me that I can't have chimichangas and Dr. Pepper anymore. Right. Before they like, oh, put yeah, me on a diet. I drove from, yeah. I drove from Phoenix, probably 90 miles an hour. Right. And so we did that. And then they wanted me to wear this heart monitor for like, I think it was like 
48 hours or something like that. And so I'm like, I am not going to work wearing the still heart monitor, right? Like I'm not doing that. So I was like, well, I'll yeah. take like another day off. And they wanted me to get labs done. So I was like, okay, like I'll go get labs done. So I go get labs done. And two hours later, I get a phone call from Renee. And she's like, Michelle, have you been throwing up blood? I was like, no, I would have told him that when I was like, when I was in the doctor, that was, that is something that him and I would have discussed. And she's yeah, like, that's kind of a big one right there. Oh yeah. yeah. Especially when you think you're dying, right? Like, especially when something's yeah, wrong, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You're like, no, no, we would have talked about this. We, we would have definitely, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would have mentioned yeah. that, that particular <laughs> fact when I'm going in there because there's something wrong. And yeah. so she tells me pack a bag and go to the hospital because you're going to be there a while. And I was like, oh, crap. Well, I had just gone on a trip, so I already had a bag packed. So I get in the car. Well, and she asked me, do you want to go through the ER or do you want to be direct admitted into the hospital? And I was like, "Uh, I'd rather be direct admitted. No one wants to go to the ER. All right. Ain't nobody got that kind of time. All right. No, nobody wants that. So I was like, no, just have him like direct admit me to the hospital. And I am sitting there reading through the list of stuff that he like has or already ordered for me to have done. And it's like a blood transfusion. He wants like two blood transfusions and like a bone marrow biopsy. And I remember, cause I, you and I both have worked in like the, finance medical world forever so you know a little bit you don't know enough to know enough but you know a little bit so I'm reading enough to be dangerous right and so I'm reading through this stuff and I remember texting my best friend Christina and being like bitch they think I have cancer and she was like nah and I'm like yeah so we they get me up to the hospital room and we're sitting in there and they're doing test after test and you I think you were driving back from Tucson at that point no you had called me somewhere in there because I got I jumped in my car I just walked out I didn't even tell my work I was leaving I just walked out jumped in my car and I was I was there not long after you were actually upstairs right and I remember Alex had I think I was alone actually I think I was alone and doctor I won't say his name because he's not great so we'll say he who must not be named comes in (laughs) to my room does not even introduce himself the only reason I know his name is because I got a bill from him for $800 but he doesn't even introduce himself he walks in the room and goes well right now we're just trying to figure out what kind of cancer you have and turns around and walks out And then I think grandma, like I was alone because grandma had left to like go get a phone charger because my phone was almost dead. And I don't think Mm -hmm. Alex had gotten here yet. So Alex walks in and I tell him, Alex, they're telling me that they think I have cancer. And so then Alex walks out into the hall and and runs right into me. Yeah. 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 And he said, mom, she has leukemia. See, and I hadn't even heard leukemia yet. They just told me that we're trying to figure out like what kind of cancer you have. And then I 
Andrew and I had separated at the time. So I remember texting Andrew and being like, can you please bring Seth to come see me? Because they're shipping me out. And I don't know how long I'm going to be gone. And so he came for a little while. But then it was, like I said, it was New Year's Eve. And so the hospital in Kingman had pretty much cleared out its staff, right? There was just not people there that could take care of me. And so they were like, do you want to go to Vegas or do you want to go to Phoenix? And we had made the decision that I would go to Phoenix because that there was, I was closer to like other family members in Phoenix than I would have been if I went to Vegas. Yeah, I remember they put me in the ambulance and off to Phoenix I went and we rang in the new year well I rang in a new the new year in the back of an ambulance having just been told that I probably have cancer and you were yes. right and behind I rang me in the new year in, in the car praying to the good lord up above that you would not die before we got you to the hospital yeah and then we get to Del Webb was the hospital that I ended up going to. And I remember at first they put me on the cardiac floor. And I do not remember much about the cardiac floor. I was so, so tired. And I, I don't, my listeners probably don't know much about hemoglobin, but a regular hemoglobin is like 15, 16 or like 14, 15, 16. And my hemoglobin was 2.4. By the time they got me to Phoenix. And I remember the doctor being like, I don't know how you're not dead. Like, I don't know how you're not dead. And me being like, I don't know, but I'm really tired. Like, I'm really tired. And I remember laying, for some reason, I remember that room as being really dark, but it probably wasn't. It was very dark. No, it was. It was very dark. Because I'm like, I remember it being super dark but my other rooms in that hospital weren't dark so I was like oh no that probably was just girls messed up so and I remember for like I want to say like three or four days we were in that room and like we didn't have a whole they were doing test after test after test after test I remember when they like we first first got in the hospital I was getting 15 labs a day just trying to figure out what it was and nothing 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 and I remember I think it was Dr. Heavy and I was negotiating with him to get a Dr. Pepper like I was like when can I take a shower and like when can I get a Dr. Pepper buddy like girl is having a rough time and I just need a little caffeine and a freshen up not working for me come on yeah something and I remember just laying there but like like I couldn't fall asleep but I was so tired. And I literally think my body was like, nah, if you fall asleep, you're going to die. Like if you fall asleep, you're not going to wake up. And so I couldn't. And I remember just laying there and listening to you and my dad talk, but like, I could not interact with you because I was so tired. And then I remember doctor, I think I had Dr. Khan at this point, he had come in and was consulting and he was like, could you possibly have AIDS? I'm like, could I possibly have AIDS? And we looked at each other like, what? (laughs) Yeah. And so, especially because Seth wasn't that old. And I like, when you're pregnant, you get tested for STDs. And I'm sitting here thinking, I don't think that AIDS could have done this to me in two years, right? And And however long this is. 
he was two yet. I think he was. He had just had his second birthday because he had his third birthday in Phoenix. Remember yeah, at the that's, that's park. True. So that's he true. had yeah. to be yeah. two. So he was still super young. Yeah. Um, and I remember you and I talking. We're like, if it's AIDS, we're not telling grandma. Like, <laughs> if it's AIDS, we're going to lie to everyone. Okay? If it's AIDS, we're going to tell them that it's an autoimmune disease and everybody needs to mind their business. Right? Like, there's like there's just no way. <laughs> that's right. that's right. grandma. There's no, no way. Right? Mm-mm. You told me. You got to lie, mom. You got to oh. lie good. Yeah, we're going to lie. No freaking way. We're going to tell grandma. No, she wouldn't be able to handle it. So no (laughs) way we're going to tell grandma. And then they finally moved me to med surge oncology. And that, that stay, I remember more. And I remember we had done a bone marrow biopsy and they were looking for leukemia and it came back negative came back that I didn't have leukemia and then they're like well maybe it's a vitamin d deficiency or vitamin b deficiency so they tried that and nothing and then they tested me for parvo because it might have been parvo and at this point you know they're getting a little desperate right they're they're they were grasping at straws and I remember talking to Christina and being like I'm gonna die and they're not gonna be able to tell me why Like, they're not going to be able to tell me why, but I am dying. And I don't know why. At that point, I was getting like four blood transfusions every day, just one after the other, after the other. And they couldn't keep my count up. And it was a mess. And you had no white cells. So you had no no immunity to anything. Nope. And oh, I, I just, oh, and, oh my goodness. Yep. And I had a team, like a whole team of doctors, like four or five of them that were just trying to figure it out. And I remember at that point, we watched so much game show network, just so oh, yeah. much game show. We were watched family feud, just so much family feud. And I, Remember, it was literally because I could not handle anything else, right? Like, I'm like, I am emotionally at all that I can take, right? Like, I'm maxed out and I cannot even handle, like, a sad commercial, a sad TV show, like, anything because Mm -hmm. I am at my limit. So, we watched so much Family Feud. And then it oh, took. Oh yeah, Steve Harvey was my dude. Yep. Yeah, that, that's all. We just sat there in that room and watched so much Family Feud. And then okay. it was 23 days before they diagnosed me, and the they had done gene testing, and the doctor comes in and goes, "I think you have a special form of leukemia that only one person in the entire United States." can diagnose i if i was a betting man i would bet my house that this is what you had well Mm -hmm. that test takes two weeks to come back takes two weeks to come back so they did the bone marrow biopsy and then they sent it out and i remember dr khan came in at 
think it was like 11 o'clock at night. Your doctor does not come in at 11 o'clock at night to tell you good news. Okay. Good news can wait no. till the morning. Okay. The only time that they're walking in your room at 11 o'clock at night is to tell you bad news. So he comes in and tells me, yeah, it's positive. You have this leukemia. Your chemo starts tonight. And I remember he made the pharmacist stay late and Cherry was my nurse that night. And she mm-hmm. hooked up my chemo and spent the entire night in that hospital room with us that whole yeah. night and ran that chemo. And that chemo was six hours a day every day for seven days yep and then i had to go back in for another bone marrow biopsy and again it takes two weeks to get the results back so two weeks later dr khan comes in at about 10 o'clock at night as we have previously discussed good news can wait till morning and he tells us your cancer cells went from 3% cancer cells to 98% cancer cells. We're going to have to do another round of chemo. And I remember being heartbroken because we were already like planning that I was going to get to go home for a little while and that I was going to get yeah. to see my kid. Cause this whole time I didn't get a see Seth because Mm -mm. chemo is poison right and i don't have an immune system and he's a toddler so there's just lots of reasons that we are not allowed to hang out because whatever he's bringing in on his little fingers could be the end of me and then i have poison just leaking out my pores yeah and then the next round of chemo was 12 hours a day for i want to say like eight or nine days And it was so much Uh, between the blood transfusions that I needed and the chemo. I was hooked up to IVs all day, every day, just being pumped full of fluids. And I remember you had gone home to sleep for a little, like for the night. And I could feel all the fluid that they had been pumping into me, just pouring into my lungs. So I am coughing up somebody else's blood, right? Because all all these blood transfusions at this point, my blood is no longer my blood. And I remember them being like, do you want me to call your mom? And I'm like, no, you need to sort this out. And then you can call my mom. Like, no, no, we're not doing this. And then they put me on Lasix and I probably peed five gallons of liquid that day. Like so, so much. And then- that time when we did the bone marrow biopsy no it was before that so before that they were talking about transplant like i was going to need a bone marrow transplant and before Mm -hmm. the first results came back they were thinking that i was going to be getting an allogenic bone marrow transplant which is where they take your own cells clean them and then give them back to you And then after the first round of chemo didn't work, I remember I had to call, I had like a consultation over the phone with the transplant hospital. And that was the first time I really grasped how bad this was. 
because she mm-hmm. told me, well, what if your second round of chemo doesn't work? What if your second round of chemo doesn't work? Are you guys, are you guys ready to hospice plan? Because your, your cancer is really aggressive. And like, no one had had that talk with me yet. Like we, no one had even like mentioned that like, we need to, to have an end plan and that like, we might not win this. And I remember I called you and I called my dad. And those are like the hardest phone calls I have ever had to make in my entire life. Cause I was so young, like at 24, yeah. you should not be having to call your parents and tell them, well, we're going to give one more round of chemo. And then like, we're going to need to like end of life plan. Yeah. And, and I remember you called and all I could think of is how do you end of life plan for a 24 year old girl? How do you do that? There is right. no, there is no way to do that, you know? And that's all I kept thinking is, you know, how, how, how am I supposed to do this? I can't do this, you know? Right. So, and I remember you got like really sad and my dad got angry, like, dad was angry and he let me go like he got off the phone with me and then 15 minutes later he calls me back and he's like we're not talking about that because that's not how this is going to end like that's not yeah. how we're gonna end I remember this. I was saying that too that <laughs> we're not this is not how this is going to go nope. so we're not <laughs> even contemplating this <laughs> nope we're not even doing that and then I remember nope. Dr. Khan, I didn't have health insurance at this time because I was healthy, Andrew was healthy, Seth was healthy. We all just paid for our doctor's appointments like out of pocket, right? That's just what we did. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember Dr. Khan came and sat on my bed and he was like, if you don't have insurance by Monday, I'm going to watch you die because nobody is going to take you no transplant team is going to take you. And I like, I lost my faith in humanity a little bit that day because I am sitting here thinking I'm 24 years old. I am 24 years old and I have a two-year-old child and you're telling me that no one is going to take care of me because I can't afford it because I can't afford it. Yeah. And it it was that way for me too. I was really, really upset. It's like, how on earth can you do that? Because I wanted to tell those board members, if it was your child, you would do it, you know? So why can't you do it for somebody else's child, you know? Right. Or somebody's mom, right? Like, yeah, somebody's mom or somebody just... why can't you're supposed to be doctors you're supposed to be humanitarian and and it's all about the dollar bill you know right it's just that was just like in our face bam yep and i i managed to work it out because uh arizona medicaid doesn't make you take all of your pto and so i had enough pto that i could have been paid my whole paycheck for quite some time And I ended up calling Medicaid and being like, how much money can I make? Like, how much money am I allowed to make? And they told me. And so I called the company I worked for. And I was like, this is what you can pay me. And I can't make more than like this amount of money. And then Mm -hmm. like at that time, I 
also like still had a life, right? Like I still had a house that I had to pay for. I had a car that I had to pay for. I had like utilities and yeah, everything. right. Like I'm like, I still yeah. had all these things that I was responsible for cancer or not. Right. Like the yeah. bank doesn't care that I have cancer and don't have a job, right? Like they are going to want my mortgage yeah. and they are going to want my house payment. And I remember we made it all work, but I just remember that was the one, like in the experience, you have moments that you realize that like humanity is wonderful, right? Like I mm -hmm. had some of the best nurses, like some of the most yeah. wonderful yeah. nurses. And I had people like really reach out and like step up to the plate when I really needed them. But like society, for me, that was the moment, like to be completely candid that I'm like, my government has failed me. Like my government has failed me. I yeah. am a high achiever, right? I had a real job. I own my own home. I paid all my bills. I did the right things, right? Like always and the only reason we didn't have health insurance is because the premiums at work for our family was like a thousand dollars a month and yeah that just wasn't feasible like that just yeah. wasn't doable and so I remember just being heartbroken and then we managed to make that work out and we managed to get that fixed and then we did the two round like the second 12 hour chemo went for sent for results and I had finally I was in remission so yes I remember they finally let me go home I only got to go home for a week and it was my 25th birthday and I am a girl who loves her birthday yes she is oh she yeah no, a month-long birthday it isn't just March 15th it is all of March has yeah. been since she was knew enough to know it was her birthday oh so. yeah no I I, I, I love me my birthday <laughs> so I remember being like no you gotta let me out for my birthday you gotta let me out for my birthday and they did I think I got out for like five days for my 25th birthday mm -hmm. and I went and bought myself some diamond earrings and I was real pumped because I'm like nah shoot I'm just excited <laughs> I made it to 25 all right 24 <laughs> it was rocky like from January to March, I wasn't sure we were going to get here. So I am super excited. And yeah. we had to go to the Virginia Piper Cancer Center for a like consultation. And mm -hmm. you couldn't go. I think you had to work. And so another family member went with me and we like called you. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was on the call. And you were on the phone. Yeah, And I just want to talk about how hard those are, right? Like, oh, wow. Yeah. Mom, I remember them giving us my odds, right? Like my odds. And it was like, you have a 80% chance of survival for the first 10 days. You have a 75% chance of survival for... 90 days after that you have a 45 percent chance of survival um like going forward and i remember you being like so you're telling me that she only has a 45 percent chance 
of surviving this. And mom, in that conversation, I think that's the only thing we heard. Besides that without transplant, I only had a 3% chance of survival. So, I mean, 45 is looking better than three, but like still not fantastic. No. And then when he said you had 69% chance that it would come back, that's all, all I could hear were those numbers, you know, but then it's like, what choice do you have? It's not like you can say, oh no, I don't think I want this. You know, it doesn't work like that. And that's a whole, I could go on a whole tangent about that. Fake choices. Like the whole time I was in the hospital, you got fake choices. They're like, well, you Mm -hmm. can do chemo or you can die. You can do transplant or you can die. Or you can die. Oh, you can get insurance or you can die. You know, the whole thing was, yeah, exactly. Like, like, that's what made me upset was he's like, well, do you want to do this? I'm like, are you serious? Right. You're like, we don't have any other choice. Right. You know, she's 24, not 64. You know, this is not an option, you know. Well, and then spoiler alert for like later episodes in this series, but with transplant, you have the risk of getting graft versus host disease. And I was one of the fortunate people who has some mad graft versus host disease. But, Mm -hmm. and I think they talked about it in that meeting, mom, but like, I don't know if we heard it. Like, I don't know if we really heard what life after transplant was going to be like I don't know because it seemed like to me shell that I swear they all acted like it was just going to be hunky-dory you were going to have the transplant and life was just going to be great and they I, I swear I don't remember anybody telling us hey it's going to be rough see but I because you know? This is why I think that they probably did. And mom, we just didn't hear that because that's not what we wanted to hear. Because later on in my journey, I was sitting in a waiting room, which I spent a lot of time in, but I was sitting in a waiting room with a girl who was in the middle of her cancer fight. And her mom asked me, "How, how far are you out? Like, how far are you out? And at that point, I was only two years out. And I was like, I'm two years out, but it's been a really rough two years. And she turned to her daughter and she was like, honey, did you hear that? She's two years out. And so that's all the mom heard was that. Yeah. I got an extra two years, right? Like that's all she heard in that. So I wonder if like, that's all you hear because like, that's the hope you need, right? Like if you heard all the other stuff that goes with life after transplant would that like dim your hope right and so yeah do you just cling to what you need to hear and that that could very well be you know right because like at that your point, perception yeah and the bad news was coming so fast that you we couldn't even process it oh you know yeah. it, it was coming so fast it was almost like I was scared every time I walked in the, the hospital door thinking, okay, what, what's it going to be now, you know? Right. And so you're probably at, right. They probably did let us know a little bit, but we didn't, but hear we it. didn't hear that. Right. We couldn't process it. Oh, we might've no. heard. Well, it. we couldn't process and then it. Mom, 
the hell that we were living in. Yeah. We were just looking for an oasis, right? Like, just yeah, looking, looking for any ray of hope. Right. Well, and then not to be dramatic, because honestly, like, the experience was not all bad. I met wonderful people, like wonderful yeah. people. I'm actually going to bring Lauren, my nurse Lauren, on for an episode in this series. And she was the best nurse. I remember her getting up. What well, one? She hunted us down a DVD player in the hospital. She did. Did mm-hmm. she hunted us down a DVD player and then got up on a chair and installed this DVD player so that you and I could watch Magic she Mike? She did. She did. She right? was super like, sweet. She was the best nurse. And I, and so then I your crazy nurse her. Jennifer. <laughs> oh, yeah. She was crazy. Oh, my gosh. Give us a laugh. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. And Julia, I remember, uh, oh, and the diet, we need to talk about the diet you're on when you, when you are prepping for transplant, you cannot have any raw fruits and vegetables. Like everything's got to be cooked, like, and hospital food, like, ain't that great. It's not that good. And I learned really quickly that if you think a hospital can't make it, it's because the hospital can't make it. Do not order that. (laughs) I ate so much grilled cheese and tomato soup because you know what? The hospital can make a bomb grilled cheese and tomato soup. They cannot make (laughs) Rainbow's Rancheros. No matter how tempting that sounds, it is bad news bears. (laughs) Yep. Remember remember I used to order order me one too? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, and I remember I ordered a chocolate cake and they told me I could not have chocolate cake. And I told Julia, them bastards told me I couldn't have no chocolate cake. And Julia was <laughs> like, why can't you have chocolate cake? I'm like, because it has a strawberry on it. And she's like, honey, I'm going to go and I'm going to order you a chocolate cake and I will take the strawberry off. And I was like, thank you. A girl is dying here and you are going to tell me that I can't have any chocolate cake. This is ridiculous. Uh, and then after being in there my first hospital stay was 90 days so that's a that's a long that's three months that's a long time and I remember I was having you and my dad bring food in like oh yeah oh yeah and I had an infectious disease doctor uh what was his name Mr. Dr. Byru. He was funny as all get out. Oh gosh. I think it was Dr. Byru. And I am sitting here eating my chicken nuggets and Burger King. And I see the back of his head in the window because he (laughs) was like turning to talk to nurses as he's walking in the room. And I am shoveling French fries as fast as I can before he comes and takes them away. And he saw the French fry from the window. Oh, Right. And so I am sitting here like (laughs) you're like mid fry right there (laughs) before he comes in and he is like green. Where did you get those French fries? And And then glaring at me the whole time. (laughs) And I was like, Dr. Byru, I've got to remember what I'm living for. And this hospital food is not doing it it's awful and then he goes out to the nurse's station he's like no visitors for green no one comes in no one leaves and i'm sitting here like nah i'm gonna eat all the french fries that i want to eat buddy i'm gonna roll the dice and take the chances and then i I also you get bad heartburn 
with chemo. Yeah. At least I did. I got bad, bad heartburn. And I remember I asked them for Tums and they're like, well, you can have one Tum every eight hours. One Tum remember you every called me. eight hours. I was at work and you called me and you're like, mom, they won't let me have Tums. You need to bring me some Tums. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. All right. Who takes one Tum? Nobody takes one Tum. You take one bottle of Tums. Okay. Nobody takes one Tum. You take a whole handful of Tums. So I remember, and they don't give you a modium, nothing. So if you got diarrhea, they just going to let you have diarrhea. Okay. They're not going to give you anything because they think that you might have C. diff. And so I, my, I, I wised up between my first hospital stay and my second hospital stay. And I brought my own Tums and my own emodium. And then they asked me, do you have any medicine in your bag? And I'm like, no, I do not. I ain't no, telling you crap because you only give me one Tum every eight hours. Cause what kind of crap is that? Oh, and, and then, then that one lady, that one nurse that wouldn't even let you, you had diarrhea so bad, remember? And you, oh no, you were in so much pain and she wouldn't give you any pain medicine. And you called me and said, mom, she won't give me any pain medicine. Man, I called her and it was like, excuse me, you will give my daughter pain medicine, but I can't. Yes, you can. <laughs> oh yeah. That, oh, so my saliva glands swell shut, which mm -hmm. I've been through a lot of painful things. Cancer is not a painless journey. That was the most painful thing that I have ever been through. And my entire face swell up and I look, well, and this is like, I had just lost my hair too. So I'm like newly bald and have a face that's all swollen up. And I looked like a Simpsons character. Like I looked awful and it was so painful and i remember they wouldn't give me pain medicine when they were running a transfusion so i would uh -huh. have to sit there without pain medication and it was so awful like so awful and like honestly i like as we talk about this like i want to give props to the people at del web because in my 90 day stay, I think I had three bad care days, right? Like where yeah. I feel like the care was not top notch, but most of the time the care was wonderful and the nurses were wonderful. And I managed and Dr. to Dr. Kahn, positive. I'm sorry. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Kahn was, he's the reason you're alive. Yes, and, he fought so you know, hard remember. for me to stay there. He is a weirdo, though. Let's sh sh weirdo, like the worst bedside <laughs> manner, man. Man's got no <laughs> jokes, nothing. And I remember I made it my goal that I will get a laugh after out of Doctor Khan, like before we're done with this whole journey. And the only time that I got him to laugh was like Easter. It was Easter, and I like really, really wanted out of the hospital so I could go be with Seth for Easter. And I was like. Doc, I'm up to bargaining in the seven stages of death or whatever. And he like <laughs> laughed hard, but he was like, no, no, Michelle, you still can't go home because your numbers are good now, but tomorrow they're going to be in the toilet. So I was like, dang it. I was so close. I like, tried. But, Almost. <laughs> right? Like, oh man, because I, I wanted to go home. And then I finally did get out of the hospital and my so before you go into transplant, you have to do, I, I had to do two rounds of a different type of chemo. 
cytarabine, I think is what it was, just to keep me in remission while they set up for transplant. Because transplant, you have to have a donor and they have like the cells have to be frozen or fresh and there's a whole process and they have to set it up to where the timing is just right. So I went into remission probably, I want to say April. No, no, March. Yeah, because I got out for my birthday. It was March so for I your went, birthday, yeah. Yeah, so I went into remission in March and then transplant was June 2nd. Mm-hmm. So we're almost five years out, mom. Next, I know, like next what, week, a week and a half. Yeah, yeah. Next week, mom, be I years. will be five years out, but we yeah. are prepping for transplant. And I didn't get to go home necessarily, but uh, we were able to get. The rule is you have to be thirty minutes from your hospital because if it goes bad, it goes bad, and it's quick. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to be within 30 minutes of our hospital. Well, my hospital was in Scottsdale. And if anybody knows anything about Scottsdale, it is ritzy and expensive. So we didn't quite make 30 minutes, but we made 45 and we were good with that. So we got an apartment and I would travel to chemo. I, I, I was like every other day I'd have to go in for chemo and then blood transfusions and we did that from March until transplant in June and I the Virginia Piper Cancer Clinic is awesome awesome they give great care it's a wonderful program Shea Medical Center is fantastic they are so wonderful the transplant team there is awesome super strict super strict you can't have ice in your beverages you can't have soda (laughs) super strict it was that was rough but they took really good care of me and I remember we prepped for transplant and then transplant itself super anticlimactic super anticlimactic you fight and fight and fight and fight and then the day comes and they a transplant is just like a blood transfusion they hook you up to a bunch of machines pipe it all in you and that's it and like mine was a little dramatic because um you have to get a central line put in your heart and they had done that but mine had like worked its way out so like while they're pushing in my transplant cells they are leaking out so I had to immediately go down for another central line surgery. And I had just had the central line put in just like not even a week before. So the next day I looked like a battered lady. Like I looked like someone had beat the tar out of me. Yeah. The chemo up to transplant is rough. It's rough stuff. It burns the inside of your bladder. And so you're like, you're like, you're, bladder's bleeding and then the chemo that comes out of your skin like any place that your skin touches each other will burn your skin and so I remember taking a shower and literally scrubbing black skin off of myself because of where my skin touched so like in between your fingers like all your rolls like all of it like you are having to scrub like dead skin cells out of it and like mom talking about it now I cannot even believe that I made it through what I made it through 
Like I know you did too. It. And, and you like, were so strong. And I want to say that like I was positive AF for what I you was. You were. Like, you just were. Give myself you a pat on the back. Because I like I and I remember a pastor had come in to talk to me about it. And he's like, You have such a good attitude. And I was like, dude. I'm, I was on isolation. So I am alone 23 out of the 24 hours in a day. And I remember telling him, I'm stuck in here with me all day, all day. Yeah. I'm stuck in here with me. So I can be yeah. stuck in here with happy Michelle all day, or I can be stuck in here with sad Michelle all day, but yeah. I'm stuck in here all day. And I remember him telling me, it's okay for you to be angry at God. Like, it's okay. He can handle you being angry with him. And me telling him, uh-uh, sir, I'm not going to no, pick no. up that shovel and I'm not going to start digging that hole if I don't think I can stop. Like, I'm not about to dig myself into a hole that I can't get out of. So yeah. I am going to stay positive. Like, I'm going to stay positive because, yeah. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm stuck in here with me all day so yeah i'm gonna stay positive because the other option just isn't gonna work out yeah and you did too you really did yeah and i had so many pajama pants like i have never had so many pajama pants because i'm not gonna be wearing that hospital robe with my butt hanging out all the time that's just not no it was always mom go buy me some comfy pants yeah (laughs) No one with their butt hanging out all the time. If I saw comfy pants, it was like, oh, I got to get some comfy pants. Yeah, I still got my comfy pants too. I'm like, (laughs) no, I have so many pajama pants. Because I I remember one day I put real pants on. And Lauren was like, ooh, you're looking good. You put some real pants on today. I was like, I know. (laughs) And the amount of times that you get asked if you have taken a crap is just unbelievable. (laughs) Just unbelievable i I remember you told me you said mom i'm just gonna go outside with a big sign i pooped today oh no i was gonna yell it down the hallway i took a crap today stop asking like everybody done been asking you did you go to the bathroom (laughs) today like i feel like that's none of your business and then after transplant you have to measure everything that comes out of you all right like everything that comes out of you has to be measured and then you're not allowed to flush your own toilet, which I feel like is crap. Okay. So, cause they're like, no, it can aerolize some bacteria that you can breathe in and then you could die. Yeah. But do you know how demeaning it is to have to call an educated woman, an educated nurse to come into your room to flush your toilet. That's awful. Like I just started flushing my own toilet. Like I was like, nah, that's, I, I can't do that. I cannot do that to that lady. She is not. Yeah. She is not a toilet flusher. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Things you just don't. And then you're not allowed to brush your teeth. Like for a whole like two months, I wasn't allowed to brush my teeth because you might knock some bacteria loose in there, swallow it and die. (laughs) Well, remember when they told you don't get constipated? Don't sneeze. (laughs) No, it was don't blow your nose. It was, don't it, blow your nose, don't get constipated, or you could die. Yeah, you bleed to death. So I had no platelets. I had no platelets. So if you cut yourself or anything like that, you're going to bleed to death because you're just not going to stop bleeding. And then the doctor comes in and she's like, 
yeah, don't get constipated and don't blow your nose because you're going to bleed to death. And I was like, well, I cannot blow my nose, but like, I don't know if I can choose whether I get to be constipated or not. Like, yeah, that's some crap. There's just the things you hear that you just never knew were a problem in life, but have now all of a sudden become a very large problem. And so we do finally make it to transplant. And we get through transplant and I had to stay in the hospital for 10 days after transplant. And so, and once you're out of transplant, you have to have 24 hour supervision. You have to have someone with you 24 hours a day. And while that might be feasible for some retirees or stay at home mom stuff, I didn't have anyone in my life that didn't have a job and just had plenty of time on their hands. So I remember we had a set up, well, I had to set up a schedule that like for one week, someone would come down and stay with me. And then for the next week, someone else would come down and stay with me. So we had like a whole rotation of people who are going to come and stay with me. And on the first, okay. And our apartment in Phoenix wasn't in a bad neighborhood, but it was next to the bad neighborhood. Like our yeah. neighborhood was good. But if you went down the street, like two blocks, there was a restaurant called Hollow Pinos. Okay. And like <laughs> Hollow Pinos. And it was spelled like H-A-L-O Pino. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, um, and so we had set up so that Christina was going to come stay with me like the first two days after transplant. So my mom was trying to hide the key to our apartment somewhere that Christina oh, yeah. could find. It. <laughs> and I get a text message that's from my mom that says, "Tell Christina to watch out for the crack pipe." <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> i stuck the key up there and pull out this crack pipe i'm like what the hell <laughs> no the best part of this whole story is that she put the crack pipe back <laughs> listeners so she finds the crack pipe and instead of disposing of the crack pipe she just put the crack pipe back <laughs> and i was just like oh shit and put it right back <laughs> so I messaged Christina and I was like, uh, I just mom put the key on top of the numbers. By the way, watch out for the crack pipe. So Christina is supposed to get there like a few hours. You never know when you're getting out of the hospital. If they're going to tell you you're going to get a hospital at a certain time, five hours later, you're going to be getting out of the hospital. So Christina is arriving at the apartment and like get again. And I get a text message that says, yep, definitely touch the crack pipe. <laughs> yeah oh that was funny oh my gosh that was funny for real and then we I get get out of the hospital and we get to the apartment and it is 140 degrees in Phoenix <laughs> because it is June and oh our air gosh, conditioner just isn't keeping up like mm -mm. it Why is working Oh, no, it's like 80 something degrees in our apartment. And we're sitting here debating, do we go to a hotel? And all I can think is, nah, if a doctor finds out that I slept on a mattress that's not my mattress, I'm going to be, be dead. Trouble. Yep, I have to have some answering to do. And then you have to stay with your original transplant team till 90 days after transplant. And within that 
90 days, you are going to clinic every day and they're doing follow-up. And I was so lucky and I didn't have any signs of graft versus host disease. And I was recovering super well. And I was about two months away from getting my life back when um, I, like I said, I had worked for the same company since I was 16, since I was 16 years old. And my mom had worked there before I worked there. So we had like mutual acquaintances, right? Like we, we knew all the same people. And one of my supervisors at the time texts my mom and goes, well, when Michelle's all done, what is she going to do for work? And then my mom t- tells me, I, no, I text her back and I said, what do you mean? What's she going to do for work? She's going to work there. And that's when she said, no, they've made the decision that she can't come back. And I remember calling them and they wouldn't answer and they wouldn't answer and they wouldn't answer. And then finally, they, my direct supervisor and the CFO of the company that I worked for finally called and they're like well Michelle it's just taking too long it's just taking too long we can't we like we can't hold your job anymore and to me that was the biggest blow like bigger than cancer bigger than all of the face swelling bigger than all of it because to me the goal was always after this you get your life back after this you get your life back yeah Yeah. right because I had worked there for a long time I and I and like and yes, I, I had a, a long time. right. Well, and I had an important job and yes, it would have been hard to keep that job open for a long period of time, but I had two months left, two months left. And then I was going to get to go back. And I just kept thinking like, Oh, in two months, I'm going to get my life back. And then they tell me that I don't get my job back. And I am now sitting there with a life I can't afford. I am now sitting there knowing that if I go back to that town, I will not be able to survive because I am not going to find a job that paid me the money that that job did. And like I said, at that time, Andrew and I were separated and like we've gotten back together and all as well. But at that time, I'm sitting here thinking that I'm going to be a single mom and like I'm not going to be able to afford my life. And so as awful as that all sounds, I remember being like, okay, this is God's way of telling me it's time to do something different, right? This is God's way of telling me that I can't go back to that life, that like it's time to do something different. And so I called my aunt who I was visiting in Wyoming when I passed out cold in the airport and asked her if I could move up here after transplant. And she said that she would be happy to have me. So that was the plan. Like 90 days after transplant, um, I was going to, weren't you going to Phoenix? I want to say you were going to Phoenix. No, where were you going? No, I was, I was, I was um, going to Oregon. With gotcha. Okay. You were going to move to Oregon and then I was coming up to Wyoming. So once our 90 days were over, we were going to vacate our apartment and we were going to move. And so we did that was it we that was packed up that was literally the hardest thing for me 
that really was the heart. Well, probably the second hardest was watching you get in the car and, and driving off. And I walked back in that apartment and it was empty. And it was like, I don't know. It was so just hard. It was like, this is it, you know? And, and we had worked so hard and, and everything was so, and then all of a sudden it was over. Right. Well, and and I, it, I feel like if transplant was a little bit more like climactic, you would have like had closure to that, but there just isn't any, right? Like there wasn't fight, just one fight, day where, fight. yeah, where fight, 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 <laughs> fight. And then, then you were gone and it was like, you know, and as a mom and, and you'll know this when Seth gets older, it's real easy to slip back into mom mode. It's real easy to get back there. And then that's over again. And it's like, okay, now I got to figure out who I am again when I'm not mom. Right. Well, especially because so that, that was all consuming. Like, yeah. Oh, it was all my thoughts. Everything was all yeah. about, okay, we've got to get Michelle here. We've got to do this. Okay. Michelle's in the hospital. I've got to get Seth. I've got to do this. You know, so it right. was, it was consumed my whole life, which, which, you know, that's what a mom does. But right. when just all of a sudden it was over just one morning. Whoosh, right. And it was, it, that was, that was hard. Yeah. I was real excited. I'm not going to lie. Like, oh, I, I know you were. I, I was know. so excited to get out of that apartment and to not be dying <laughs> for a minute. And <laughs> yeah, but not like, have your whole life about cancer. That's what you yeah. kept saying, you know. Oh, because that was hard. I haven't thought yeah. of, like what sucks is it still is, y'all. Shocker, it shocker. It, but it, it was nice to like think you get to have a life again, right? That like yeah. you are it isn't all about the next doctor's appointment, that it isn't about all this, and that like you get to like move on with your life, you know? Yeah. And so uh, yeah, no, I remember just being ecstatic to be what I thought was done, which was like not even close to being done. But, and I, funny story about that moving out though. So we um, get, my dad brings a U-Haul and his truck and we were on the second floor of these apartments and I am not in the physical condition having just been through cancer and transplant to haul anything up and down the stairs. Okay. Both my parents, no offense. You're like in your fifties also yeah. <laughs> don't necessarily want to be carrying heavy furniture up and down some stairs. And not so to my mention, dad, this is Phoenix. It's still hot. Oh, hot, <laughs> hot. It was September hot still hot as hell yeah oh so hot so my dad's like i'm gonna go find some people (laughs) to (laughs) help you move okay so my dad is driving around phoenix for a while and he shows up with some crazy looking dudes right like just some (laughs) crazy looking dudes but they had that apartment cleaned out in no time there's no time yeah no time flat oh yeah and then on the drive to wyoming from phoenix my dad was like yeah those guys were kind of a rough bunch i was like dad 
where did you get them? He's like, I don't know. I just pulled up to a, a park with a bunch of homeless people and asked them if they wanted to make a couple of dollars. And so the leader of the homeless people were like, yeah, you and you like go help him. He's like, and then he gets in the car and immediately tries to sell me a knife. And I was like, yeah, did you buy the knife? And he's like, yeah, if a crazy homeless man asks you if you want to buy a knife, you buy the knife. Yep, that was so funny. Oh, my all these gosh. people just start these crazy looking people just walking in their house. <laughs> right? Okay. I'm like, well, honestly, they were super nice. And they were. They were really nice and respectful. Yep, and had that apartment cleaned out, no problem. So, yep. I mean, <laughs> they did. Dad coming in for the win. Very. <laughs> uh, well, we've been at this for about an hour now, so we should probably wrap it up. But just want right. to thank everybody for listening and thank you, Mom, for coming on and doing this. I appreciate it. No that problem. Was the, it was a good time. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And then <laughs> that was the Do You Want Me to Lie podcast. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> Oh,